Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season. Whether I was out west during my elk hunt, South Dakota mule deer hunt, or my rut vacation in Iowa, I was on my phone using Onyx Maps every part of the day. Whether I was looking at terrain features uh, on the topographic and and satellite maps that they offer on their... uh, Uh, on their app or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location I used Onyx Maps every single day and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map. And uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before. I had to wait till sunup and then and then you know find it that way. But that problem does not exist anymore because of onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that i think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So, onyxmaps.com. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, 
but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bay. Happy New Year, Colby. Happy New Year. It's 2020, man. Yeah. Hey, the first issue of Bear Honey Magazine for 2020 is out in the hands of subscribers. Mm-hmm. It's got a article called Guard the Gate. It's got a cool cover. Yep. I felt when I got the cover, even though we're the ones that did it, I felt like I'd been punked. Yeah. You you have to see what I mean to see. Yeah. It. There's a great article called called Guard the Gate in there that you'll want yep. to check out. Also, our our partners at the Western Bear Foundation, their their president Joe Condellis wrote an article called Death in Texas. Yep. So uh, Western Bear Foundation's represented in there. The article's not really about the Western Bear Foundation, but it's uh, about one of Joe's big adventures up in Alaska. Yeah. And uh, so check out Western Bear Foundation at uh, westernbearfoundation.net. Also, check out Northwoods Bear Products. Man, it is going to be no time before we're baiting spring bears. I know. I'm already smelling the stuff. you smelling the... the <laughs> I'm smelling the, the grease. The butterscotch... Uh, uh, gold Rush. Yeah, the Gold Rush. We we busted. We had a bottle of that in the back of our truck the other day. I smelled it when I got in the truck the other day. No kidding. Priest out. The the boys somehow cracked the lid on it. And uh, anyway, that's incredible stuff. I'm surprised a bear didn't come out of its state of torpor to yeah. break into my truck. Yeah. But uh, check out Northwoods Bear Products for a full line of commercial scents. And I always say it. But my go-to stuff is the Northwoods Gold Rush for our additive. Yeah. If you're baiting bears, it just makes sense. Yeah. Lastly, DU Hunting Supply, W Hunting Supply. Mm. I just got two of their Alpha. Well, it's a, it, it connects to an Alpha collar, but their Mini TT15 collars for my squirrel dogs. Yep. And those guys are are world renowned for their customer service. So check out our good friends over at W Hunting Supply. Yep. And, uh, hey, let's get to this podcast with Mo Shepard. Mo is a true, true Ozark mountain man, one of the best hunters that I know. And we're going to have a good conversation with him. Yep. Happy Mo's New the Year. Man. Happy New Year. I said he was a veteran podcaster. Look at that. You can't even get that on right. <laughs> well, there's something right when I stick it in for <laughs> There you go. We'll just put it down like that. There we All go. right. Mo Shepard, veteran podcaster. Did you know, Mo, that uh, that I assign out the podcast that we did? It was last December. Last December, me and you did a podcast on spot and stalk bear hunting mm-hmm. in the uh, in the eastern deciduous forest. We were talking about hunting in the Ozarks and in the Washtals. I get asked that question probably more than anything. People people will private message me on Instagram or Facebook or Want something. Want to know about that? And they'll, well, well, that what they'll say is they'll say, "Hey, do you have any tips for public land bear hunting in <laughs> this area?" And and rather than writing them a novel, I send them the link to that podcast. Let them listen to the podcast. And I said, "Me and Mo Shepard talked about it for two hours." <laughs> Close to it, I think. Uh, we really did, and we spilled our guts. We told we told them everything <laughs> we knew, which which was a fair bit of information. But uh, so, Colby, did you learn anything from that podcast? <laughs> I'm you sure didn't I listened did. to it. Did you? I haven't. Oh, I listened to all of them. 
from no, uh, I, from back. That no, was, I know that's not true. I listened to all of those. <laughs> uh, no, uh, <laughs> I haven't listened to some of the recent ones other than putting them together. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's from a different perspective now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. before it was like you've just captured listening. a lot of this from osmosis. Yeah, yeah. Just from like hearing like me talk to people on the phone when you're sitting over there, yeah. or from videos we watch, or from articles when I'm talking out loud. Like, yeah mumbling to myself yeah. in the office. So Colby's probably like a... Yeah, he catches a lot of overdrift. You know, yeah, overdrift, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it would sound like I know what I'm doing and baiting bears with some of these calls. <laughs> hey, he's pretty good on the phone. People call in and and ask a question. You know, or, or a lot of times people subscribe or renew or something online or, or over the phone, and they'll talk to Colby, and they'll be like, man, I this and this and this. And Colby just tells them how it is, man. He's like, man, you need to... Here's your Those, problem. Here's your problem. <laughs> so, as long as people think you know what you're doing, you've always got it made. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Mo, what is okay? Here's a question for you. First of all, let me let me say for those of you that didn't hear the last podcast, Mo Shepherd is one of the best hunters that I know, uh, in, especially as a local hunter. I introduced my buddy last podcast, Scott Brown. Uh, he was on last podcast, and I said that Scott and Andy are some of the best they're as good a local hunters as there are and the way i described it was if you lived in virginia or if you lived in kentucky or if you lived in colorado there's there's people that just know how to hunt you know may, maybe they've not traveled and hunted and whatnot but they know how to get it done in their region in their and they're, they're woodsmen area. and they're they they're they're accomplished in all types of hunting for their region and i describe scott and annie brown as being as good as as anybody and i would describe you the exact same way mo i mean for a for for what for where you hunt you, you what you've done is pretty incredible and so that's why i have a ton of respect for you as a hunter so here's my question <laughs> so we've also on the last couple of podcasts been talking a lot about uh kind of the direction of modern hunting yeah, I've heard some of that. So. Yeah, and it's it's been interesting. Um, what what is your level of outdoor media intake? Like, do you watch the Hunting Channel? Do you buy DVDs? That's something we used to do. Big. I mean, I did. I've got a rack full of DVDs from the early two thousands through about probably even just five years ago. Do you listen to podcasts? And I'm not feeding you wanting you to say you listen to my yeah. podcast but what's your what's your level of outdoor media intake not a whole lot i listen to uh and watch some stuff on elk hunting when i got interested in going elk hunting right, out west right. but as far as the hunting around here i don't listen to a whole lot don't watch a whole lot most of it is just from experience and talking to other people and how they do or don't do and well, well that's what i thought you were going to say you are uh you're 50 59 59 okay okay in my mind you're still 50 years old that when i first met you i think you were 50 um a lot of people these days are pretty heavily influenced by outdoor media you know and and that shapes the way that we view hunting if you grew up watching big deer being killed in iowa on television over food plots and then you you know that influenced the way that you thought and then you know the last 15 years has been a big emphasis on, you know, growing deer and managing properties and different things. And that can infiltrate people. Partly what I'm interested in 
is people that are less influenced by that. And I would say that you're that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not you're influenced by it. At uh, all. <laughs> your family homesteaded out here in the mountains. Yeah, in a real rugged part of the Ozarks. In rough times, and back yeah. during the Depression years, and all that. So yeah. that's when my well, mom even, and dad both grew up. So well, but I mean, I'm talking like yeah, that, the Shepherd family yeah, from, from way 1820s, back. Twenties. So yeah, was and 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 I still kind of view you as a just a kind of a primitive kind of a primitive type hunter not that you are shooting you do shoot traditional archery yes a lot a lot of a lot of my even my some of my friends but even some of my relatives told me that i was born about 100 years too late <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well now so what do you think of the direction of modern hunting mo i mean just in short we spent the whole two hours yeah. in the last podcast talking about it uh in short uh a lot of people because I think people run such a busy life and style and stuff, they don't take the time that it takes to learn the woods, especially out in vast regions of the woods, like in the mountains in the Washita's or in the Ozark Mountains, and to really do good, in my opinion, whether you're bear hunting or deer hunting or anything in them, you have to spend time studying the terrain, studying the wildlife trails, uh, just places that deer like to travel where they don't like to travel where they like to sleep or bed and yeah. places they don't those places deer and stuff don't like to go yeah and you can hunt all day and find sign in there and stuff but if it's a place they don't travel in daytime you're wasting your time yeah yeah uh, you'll find lots of sign that deer never travel there in the daytime yeah and, yeah uh, a lot of times you have to hunt those areas that go to those areas or in between those areas where you find all that sign and that's where i've had a lot of my success over the years killing nice deer and even bears out in the Ozark mountains is finding those places. So, yeah. But so, I, I think that's so, what's, what's so going. that you, you feel like people don't have the time or aren't making the time to, to be, I mean, you know, the, yeah, the question I mean, being like the, the direction of modern hunting, like people are looking for shortcuts. I mean, like, what are you saying? Yeah, I'm saying people are, and, and there's nothing, no fault in it. The, they just, uh, I just enjoy spending time out there. Like I said, yeah. I, I go out a lot of times to walk through the woods, and I may take my twenty-two and try to squirrel hunt a little bit. But when I'm doing all that, I'm looking at stuff, uh, putting stuff in my memory bank. Yeah. You know, this looks good. This looks bad. This might be a place I want to come check later and see if there's some big deer tracks coming around this trail around through here on the side of this mountain or something other. You know, if I see yeah. it in there squirreling, just stuff like that. And that's where... And like I said, people just don't have time to do that or don't take the time because they're so busy scheduled with their kids and and especially the younger generation now, you know. There's a lot yeah. of good hunters out there that are young hunters. But I'm yeah. just saying a lot of the younger generation have so much on their plates, they just don't spend the time out there to, to learn them. And it's, it's tough hunting in the mountains. That's why you see so many people now hunting on leases and stuff, which yeah. is nothing wrong with that. Right. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I think the time, we brought that up in one of the last podcasts was that Time is different than it used to be, even though obviously it's not. Time, yeah. time is time. We're humans. We're bound by time. But like people, with the advent of, of the technology and the efficiency of life, it's like people just don't have the free time that they used to, and that's 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 something we all struggle with. You struggle with it. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, you wish yeah. you had more time out in the woods. Yeah. I do too. There's but, just so much going on. Uh, the world is so hectic anymore. Your work, right. your jobs, your 
And see, to me, that is that is the the power and beauty and poeticness, if I could say it, of the outdoor lifestyle. Is that that we have chosen, we've made a decision that we're going to value time in the outdoors, and I think that really influences our life more than we realize. Like we grew up in Arkansas, we we grew up this way. We really don't know any different. And what I have seen since I've you know, kind of stepped onto the national hunting scene and been able to do some traveling and stuff is that the lifestyle that you and I live, which is pretty fairly similar. We live pretty close. We're is, is pretty unique. I mean, and and I, and I just feel like there's, there's value inside of taking that time, becoming a woodsman, learning the craft. That's a phrase that my uncle Mike Schultz actually on the last podcast used to describe the kind of hunting that we were describing was it's not just a, it's not a sport. It's not an event. It's not a thing we do, but it's a craft. If it's done, if it's done right. And you know, the, the idea of craft means that it's more than just, it's, it's deeper than just going and doing something that there's knowledge behind it. There's philosophy behind it. There's dedication and discipline and skill and all that stuff. And sometimes you know, you don't always think about those things, but it's important. Yeah. It's important. is. It is because it's the, the, like you said, the, the, that type of outdoor lifestyle is, is, uh, it takes, you gotta, you gotta make yourself do things that you don't normally, where a lot of people don't have time to do and stuff to, to, to be successful at it and, and enjoy it too. So yeah. that's the main thing is enjoying it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you today about. Um, I want to hear a bear story, number one. that's a, That was one of the main reasons I wanted you to come in. It's been a long time since I've heard the bear story. Yeah. I tell that story fairly often, and, and I need to get tuned up to make sure my details are right. Yeah. I told that story to uh, – I told that story yesterday. We went coon hunting yesterday. We're We're – in the heart, Colby, of uh, Coon Palooza 2020. <laughs> I've been tracking it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the kids have been out of school. Yeah. And so we've been coon hunting every night. And uh, I, I, I took a, a a new guy that I just met coon hunting. He, 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 he had been coon hunting before, but it had been years. And uh, for some reason, we got to talking about bears and danger in bears and i told him that there's only two people that i personally know that i would say were straight up attacked by a bear and this is a good i'm going to tell the first story and then you're going to tell the second one because you were you were one of those people okay and and i may be able to draw back in my memory bank and, and find somebody else but you were one of them and i told your whole story last night well, let me tell you a story, and I'm not going to use the guy's name. And it's been years since I've heard this. Story. It's been probably eight years since I heard this story, but it was down in the Washitals, okay. And uh, this is a real good hunter down in the Washitals that I know fairly well, a uh, little little bit older than me. He was hunting on national forest, walked in before daylight with his climbing stand on his back, got in a saddle, climbed up a pine tree, pretty high. Uh, if I remember, he was like 25 foot up in a pine tree. Uh, got daylight, 
and he looks well. Okay, so when he was coming into this saddle, he he walked up the mountain in a real specific way, so as to not so that the deer and game coming through that saddle wouldn't cross his path. Right? Yeah, would leave a scent, bad scent. That's right. So it wasn't like he just walked down the main trail coming to this saddle. He walked up kind of a peculiar way. Well, he gets daylight sometime after daylight, and he looks down and he sees a bear. And that bear has his nose to the ground and is trailing him, trailing him up the mountain step for step hmm. where he's come. This is in Arkansas. And, uh, you know, that wasn't that unusual. And he was not interested in the least in shooting a bear. So he just sees the bear and is just watching it. The bear trails right up to the base of his tree, smells up the tree, looks up, locks eyes with him, and absolutely comes up the tree, <laughs> comes up the tree. And he's way up in the tree, and, you know, he's a pretty good, real good woodsman, actually. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he was that afraid at that point. He he hollers at the bear, you know, just like, hey, get down, and moves around. And that turns the bear, and the bear goes back to the ground. And, and as I recall a story being told to me, the bear kind of arched his back like a cat, and threw his hair up on the back of his neck. I mean, and kind of looked at the guy out of the side of his eye, you know, kind of how they would show aggression, mm-hmm. and went out there a little ways and just poof, shot up the tree again. And this is where the details get hazy for me, how many times this happened. It may have happened three times, or it may have just happened twice. I know the first time he ran the bear back down the tree. The second time he... Let's just say it happened twice, but it may happen three times. The 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 second time he comes up, he's trying. He's got a he's bow hunting. Mm-hmm. He's trying to draw his bow, and he's going to shoot the bear just right in the face. Yeah, just to protect. He by this time he's scared. The second charge. Well, he's in a climbing stand, and you know you can't shoot straight down out of a climbing stand with a bow. Yeah. So he's trying to figure out. He keeps drawing his bow and then leaning down in, mm-hmm. and and. Eventually, the bear absolutely comes up the tree, and he shoots it through the throat as it's coming over the top of his climber. Bam. Wow. Wow. And the very fact that he was able to shoot his bow shows you the angle. Mm Because there's no—he couldn't lean down and shoot. Anyway, he shoots the bear just right in the throat as it is coming over the top of his climber. And— the bear was never recovered. The bear just hit the ground and took off. Never found the bear. The guy was, uh, yeah, it, it, the guy. The guy was truly scared, as I recall, and pretty upset. I mean, just upset, like he didn't like bears. That's that's what I heard <laughs> after that. I heard after that that he he was not a fan of bears. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's one of the wildest stories. And, and these are just people that. I know, so I'm certain there's other stories that have happened in Arkansas that were like that. And then your story was the second one that was, I would consider an attack. Now, now I've been, I mean, bluffed by one, you know, just where they kind of Yeah, I've been bluffed several feet. times over the years, just jump their, jump their, kind of yeah. thump their feet on the ground, they woof a little bit or, yeah. or pop their teeth, pop, pop. Yeah. You know, snap. I've had them do that several times, but yeah. usually you holler at them or talk to them and back up and they'll turn and take off. Yeah. You know, most of the time. Well, 
Tell us what happened and, and about what year it was. I don't recall. That would have been about, uh, this is 2019. It was somewhere around 2005, I guess, or six or seven, somewhere in that. I don't remember the exact year, but it was right in the middle, early 2000s. And uh, I'd, uh, to make a shorter story out of it, I'd. Oh, I want the long story, Mo. <laughs> well, I want to get down to where it's at. This is my first yeah. time to hear it, so I need to. I'd, yeah, I'd I left, need to I'd left my house. And uh, where I lived at the time had a lot of good deer country right around in the mountains. And and uh, I just left my house mid-morning. I didn't even get up early that morning. And uh, picked up my re- one of my recurve bows and put my quiver on and, and thought, well, I'm just going to do a little bit of spot stock hunting with my bow and do a little scouting too. It was early in bow season. Yeah. And uh, pretty warm that day. And I took off and got down in a place where – it was pretty thick. There's a lot of, at that time of the year, anybody that's in the mountains know there's a lot of pawpaw bushes mm-hmm. grow, especially on the north side of the mountains. On the, and it's usually real thick. Real thick pawpaw where those are thicket. At. And I was in one of those areas, and I'd probably been gone from the house hour or something like that. And uh, I remember walking through there, and I, I seen some deer droppings and stuff. And and uh, I'd killed a couple of deer on this fl- little flat bench in here before, in years past. And I thought, well, this... I may want to come back down here and bring me a stand and bow hunt a little bit. And about that time, something caught movement. I seen something moving. I thought, oh, there may be a deer right here now. So I just stopped. And about 20, 25 yards from me, a small bear cub comes out of the pawpaw bushes right in front of me. I thought, well, that's cool. But Mama's around here somewhere. So I was how, looking. How big were they? They were the small cubs. Like, they have been born that that. They were born that, that winter year. before. So, so probably a 25, 30-pound 30 30 cubs yeah. is what they were, about like a small dog. Okay. And uh, anyway, uh, and so I was looking for mom, and I see movement behind the other cub. Look, well, there's another cub. Mm-hmm. And they both get out in this little opening about 20 yards from me, and I thought, well, as long as they're and they were just like they do, playing on the ground, doing stuff. They didn't see you. They didn't see me or nothing. They were just there, and I thought, well, I'll just – ease out of here well i moved back a step or two and i thought well i need to see where she's at because she's around here somewhere she may be behind me you know yeah and uh i'd run across sows and cubs before and usually you can just walk away from me if they see you and just talk lightly to right. them and and they'll just let you get out of there yeah i well, still hadn't seen the mama well about that time the two little cubs side they're gonna come my direction <laughs> so they come just right. by chance they yes, didn't they, see no you. they just turned and started had their heads down playing and one right beside the other and coming right towards me. And then they got within 10 or 15 yards of me. I thought, this ain't going to be good. So <laughs> in a low voice, I said, hey, hey, like that. And I remember one of them just kind of stopped and looked. And then it saw me. When it saw me, I just kind of had my bow in my hand. I just kind of waved my now, bow. This in is my, this wooden recurve bow. Yeah, my recurve bow, one of my recurves. I yeah. just waved the bow at it like that. And it started enough they jumped into the bushes right there 10 yards from me, probably, into those pawpaw bushes. And I still hadn't seen the mama bear, so I don't know where she's at. Well, it made sense. I looked up, and she was coming out the same way the cubs came. And I thought, okay, she's going to she's gonna scent trail them, so she's going to come towards me. <laughs> yeah. So I start backing up. And when I go to backing up, she sees movement. So she kind of looks towards me on all fours there and looks my way, and I just stop. And then... I don't remember exactly what happened then, but I know, I thought, well, I need to get on out here. So I don't remember if I said something to her or I just started backing up. But when I did, I didn't know it. And one of those cubs wasn't 10 foot from me. It had climbed up a pawpaw bush and was there looking at me. Be and when I backed up that time, it 
uh, did that little ball like they do. Uh, mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, just they just make... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. And and do that. And when it done that, she, boy, her head jerked up. And I remember saying stuff like, hey, hey, Mama Barry, I'm not bothering. I'm not bothering. I'm going to get out of here. I just started backing up. And every time I'd take a step, that little cub would. <laughs> and finally, it, she could mm. see me. And I thought, well, I got to do something different because I could see she was getting in that mode. She was standing there 20, 25 yards from me. I still just had my bow in my hand. You could you could see her body posture body change. Body posture change. It was more puffed kinda, up. Yeah, just kind of drawn up. Yeah. So I so I thought, well, I need to do something a little louder. I saw, I, so I hollered at her then. I said, hey, Bear, get out of here. You know, I'm getting out of here. And I started backing up. Well, I don't remember if the cub said something or what, but I know within two seconds, she made one loud, mm. just kind of like that. Mm. And before I could bat an eye, she was on me. I mean, just mm. like four big leaps, and she was right at me. And I don't remember when I done it, but I stuck my bow between me and her, and she went to biting at my bow mm. and popping her teeth. And I was a hollering just as loud as I could holler and backing mm-hmm. up the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she just kept coming forward, coming forward. I remember a couple of times she snapped at me. Mm. And once I think she even kind of swatted her paw toward me, but she didn't hit me or anything. She just, I don't know, she might have been just hitting leaves. Right, right. I've seen them do that before. Yeah. And, uh, and then she made a lunge at me, and I think she was going to try to knock me down in. And when she did, I was, I guess I was ready. I don't even remember that I'd done it other than I remember doing it after I'd done it. When she lunged at me, I jerked my leg up, and I kicked her right in the face with my boot. <laughs> and she jumped back then and mm. me hollering this whole time, you know, just hollering real loud, you know, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And I just kept backing up and backing up, and she kept coming towards me and me hollering so at her. she kept coming after you yes. made contact after with her? After I hit her in the face, she still come at me, and I went to hollering real loud then. And I remember she came up her close skin. I gouged her with the end of my recurve bow right in the face two or three times hollering at her. And I guess I finally got far enough away from those cubs that she realized I wasn't going to bother them then. So she just stopped. And I just kept backing up, hollering, backing up, and hollering, backing up, and hollering. And uh, she, I think she came up towards me a few steps again. And I hollered real loud again. And she stopped. And I just kept backing. I never stopped. I just kept backing up. Yeah. And, and uh, when... When I got, I guess, far enough away from her, she didn't feel endangered. I was going to bother her cubs. She turned and went into the pawpaw bushes where the cubs were, and I could see them. And she sniffed around them and kind of reared up and swatted that one on that bush, and it come down, and then she started walking off with them. I just kept backing up and got plumb out of sight of them. I probably backed up for 100 yards because I didn't want to turn my back because I didn't know she might come running back or whatever. Yeah. When I felt safe then, I was out of breath <laughs> and really, <laughs> really nervous. And I sat down, and that's the first time I realized it. I sat down, and sometime during that whole episode, I'd pulled an arrow out of my quiver. I carry a quiver on my side. Okay. And I'd, I'd pulled an arrow out of my quiver and had it gripped in my hand, and I guess in you case she'd got me down. Like a, like, I was going to use it for a weapon, I guess. I didn't even yeah. remember doing that. But yeah. But that was the, that was the whole episode of it. It's it was pretty now. scary. Yeah, golly. I mean, how even big, today, how that big was, you think she was? She was probably a 150, 175 pound mama bear. Yeah, about normal female yeah. bear for these yeah. mountains out here. Yeah, and uh, but about wow. 175 pounds too big. Oh, heck yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but that, that's a really, you know, you hear the stereotype of people saying that a sow bear with cubs is real dangerous. I have never. Let me think about that. I don't. All the sow bears that I've ever messed with, and, and most of them would have been around baits, have been 
super lackadaisical with their cubs. Yeah. Well, so, I, so I say that to say that is a rare experience. Yeah, well, I've run across them several times before that out in the mountains and and stuff. And and uh, in fact, two or three years before that, I had one do like your story you was telling. I had one to smell my scent trail that had two cubs with her. Mm. Smelled it right to the tree. I went up, and she ran up on the tree, and I hollered at her, and she kind of woofed at me a little bit, and then dropped down, and I was hollering at her pretty loud. I was in a climber stand. Oh, yeah. And in that kind of that same area, but not really close to where this happened to me. Yeah. And that was a couple of years before that. And uh, she uh, she went off then and went up to her cubs, and they went on around the mountain. Huh. But you know, I, she done what you said that guy did. I, I watched her. I was watching him. I thought that's pretty neat watching these bears. Yeah. You know, little cubs, and they were bigger though. They were like a year and a half old cubs. Mm-hmm. You know, they were probably seventy five, eighty pounds, something yeah. like that. Yearling and uh, yearling cubs, and uh, but when she hit my scent trail, where I she walked in, right and I don't care what anybody says about rubber boots, anything. I had rubber boots and used <laughs> sent away, and she picked my scent up just like that with them yeah. where I wore them rubber boots in, and climbed that just tree, trailed, and she come yeah. right to the tree I was in. I'll mm-hmm. be done. But she didn't get really aggressive or anything. She just uh, she she wanted to, I guess see where I was at. Yeah. Well, listen to this story. This is this would be like the exact opposite of what just happened to you this year when we were baiting bears on the, the we call it the mule bait back in the yeah, we back in the national, in on the mules. we got to go in on the mules man when when that bait gets cranking you better get up in there and bait those bears quick and get out of there quick that's what i've learned because this has happened several times now because you go in and uh <laughs> tie the mules up within you know as close as you can to the bait so you don't have to carry the bait very far yeah and uh, you've got about 20 minutes to get stuff done before bears start coming in there. Yep. Well, this year I had Shepard, my youngest son, with me. He's 11. And we had uh, Ace the mule and Izzy the mule up there. And uh, we had to unshuck a lot of bread and do a bunch of stuff. And so it took us a little bit of time. Well, about 20 minutes in, I see the ears on those mules just boom, just sticking straight up. And you looking. knew something was coming. I knew a bear was coming. <laughs> and uh, and I look out, and sure enough, there's a bear that's kind of just like shadowing the bait. You know, he's just you just see little bits and pieces of him moving around, moving around. And, and so we just start working a little bit faster. And anyway, the bear finally stays out there for long enough that it just gets brave enough that it just it just comes walking in. I mean, just just like it was going to run us off the bait, and we've got two mules tied to trees, right here. Me bite. and Shepherd are there, and um, and that bear, it was kind of angling towards the bait. It wasn't coming directly toward. It wasn't just like walking straight towards me. But I mean, it was walking on a trajectory that was going to put it probably five yards from me. And finally, I I just start talking to it. Hey, bear. Hey, 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 hey. And uh, and it kind of bows up, just like just like you said your bear bear did and i could tell it wasn't gonna mess with me and it it uh i mean i had to get on it and move towards it and stomp around to get it to run off well it was a sow with two little bitty cubs cubs. and the (laughs) cubs were back in the woods so she sent made them stay out there and she came in well no sooner than we got done and we're leading those mules away. We weren't 40 yards from that bait when those two cubs and that sow just came trotting in. And and anyway, the point being that she wasn't afraid of us, mm-hmm. and she wasn't concerned about those cubs. 
But your situation was different because there was no human intrusion. No. They didn't know there was a human around. No. And, and I may have been the first why. human that she looked like a young bear, too. I may have yeah. been the first human that sow bear had ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, up close and personal, That's back in saying. her woods. Yeah, out, in the, out in the mountains there. Yeah, yeah. I've had w- only one sow while I was hunting. Well, and I'm thinking of hunting here. I mean, in Saskatchewan, I had that one touch the end of my arrow. Yeah. Um, and then while hunting in Oklahoma one time here, I had a sow that just wouldn't leave me alone, that kept coming around the tree. Now, she didn't have cubs with her. And she ran up the tree a couple of times and got probably within two feet of my platform. But uh, other than that, I've never I've never had an experience like what what you had with one. Hope really I never trying. have another one like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love to bear hunt. So, have you ever ha- other, had any other like hairy encounters? Well, this year I, one got pretty close to me. I think I told you about it earlier in the muzzleloader season. Yeah. On the day I was spot stalk hunting that early muzzleloader. Yeah, yeah. What happened? I can't remember. Well, I you you spot and stalk bear hunt to see a bear. Hopefully, in a year's hunting, That's I saw right. three that one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, two two look like two and a half year old bears, and this third one was probably uh, I don't know, but it wasn't much bigger. Yeah, it might even been these these bears' mama a year ago, before, you know. Yeah. But she was it, this one was away from them. Didn't wasn't none of them big bears. But the last one, when I saw it, it wasn't twenty five yards from me. First tried seeing, got pretty close, but they went on about their way. They never smelt me or anything. When this one smelt me, I think that's what it did because it kind of half came up on its hind feet and do like they do. It was. <laughs> You know how they suck that area and uh-huh. through their nose trying to smell. Uh-huh. And when it did, then finally it dropped down and then just stared right at me and just started towards me. Mm. And I didn't make up mind I wasn't going to kill the bear because I told myself when I went that morning, unless I see a bear that's 300 pounds or so, I'm not going to take it. Yeah. And then I about changed my mind. I thought, Barry, you keep <laughs> coming. This 175-pound bear, I may take you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it got within probably 30 feet of me. Yeah, and uh, but on its all fours, and when it got that close, I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna holler at it, and if it don't leave here, then I'm I'm gonna take it because I had my muzzleloader up and ready, and and I hollered at it, and it kind of half reared up and woofed at me a couple times and dropped down and kept looking over its shoulder, and then it meandered off back through the woods. But I don't know if it's a male or female. It looked more yeah. like a female because it didn't have a this the way you know their demeanor is. Their heads are some more slender looking to me. They are anyway the females. Yeah. And, yeah. But that was a that was a close experience and. But it, it didn't ever scare me because it never did seem aggressive. But I think it was just wanting to make sure that I was there or something. I don't know. Yeah. Let me tell you two something that's happened to me two different times um, while on the ground with bears, not over bait. Two of the bears that I've killed in National Forest with a recurve in the last three or four years, both of them did the same thing. The bear that I killed over the water that one year, it's on video so mm-hmm. people can watch it. That bear came into that water and I was knelt on the ground, you know, eight yards away and it didn't have a care. It didn't see me at all until it like kind of popped into the opening that that water was in. And it never looked, it never just made straight eye contact with me, but it saw something in its peripheral vision that it didn't like. And that bear slightly changed directions and jumped into the water over a sapling about as big around as your ring finger. But pushed that sapling over. And it was showing aggression. 
that's what that was that's all what about. Was doing. Bears, when they're showing aggression, a lot of times they'll walk over saplings or shake trees or stomp. And so this bear kind of made a quick movement and it splashed the water and and stepped over that sapling. Never looked at me. And I on the comments on that, uh, a couple of people made comments of, uh, I can't remember what it was, but th- they didn't interpret that. But, I mean, there, to me there was no question. The bear was showing aggression to whatever I was, and it didn't know. That's number one. Number two, this year, the bear that I killed on the ground. Um, you know, we're always so concerned about scent, and you've got to be. But the bear that I killed this year smelled me. Hundred percent, but not until he was so close it was too late. If he'd have smelled me a hundred yards away, I would have never, never seen saw him. the bear. So the bear came in, and he was there was kind of a crosswind, you know. And the bear, I see the bear forty yards behind me. I'm on the ground, and the bear's coming to me. And there's kind of a crosswind, and I I, I know once he gets to this certain point, he's going to cross my wind. Well, I'm up and around and waiting for him and ready just watching him. I need him to come into my wind. Well, when he hits my wind, he immediately sees me and wins me at the same time. And he tenses up and he, he makes a quick, he makes a quick, uh, people can't see what I just did. I just mm-hmm. kind of stomped the ground like bit. a, like a gorilla stomping the ground. It was nuanced though. Like if you didn't know it, you would have just thought he just took a quick step, Yeah, but he was, he was, trying to spook me and then he he kind of eyed me and kind of catwalked just a little bit and he didn't just take off sprinting but he changed his direction and by now he's only 13 yards and kind of quartering away so it's actually perfect and i was able to shoot him but both those bears knew i was there and and showed some aggression you know they well the first bear didn't smell me on the pond second bear smelled me and saw me and didn't just bust off running. Yeah. But it's 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 a nuanced deal because, like we said, if it had been 100 yards away, I'd have never saw that bear. He'd have just turned left. You know, you know, I've seen a lot of bears through the years, whether I've been turkey hunting, deer hunting, just scouting, whatever, and hunting them too. And uh, and I've seen numerous bears. I've seen numerous that I can remember right offhand, five or six different bears that I've got close to or they've got close to me. And one was during turkey season about three years ago. And when it when it crossed my scent path, it came towards me a ways. And then when I finally let it know I was there, it done just what you said. It just kind of lunged and popped its feet. And it was one of them I was telling you a while ago. It actually took its paw and swatted some leaves. Uh, slung leaves out in front of it like that. And woof, woof, like that. Yeah. And then I hollered at it, and it finally turned and walked off. But yeah, it looked like a male that was probably 300 pounds. That's it was a good-sized good good bear. But, huh. Huh. Well. Interesting critters. Yes, interesting they are. Critters. They are very interesting, and uh, and they're they're fun to hunt. Whether you hunt them spot and stalk, over bait, however, they're they're interesting creature. You're pretty good at uh, animal vocalizations, aren't you? Most times, <laughs> <laughs> you got a pretty good. Uh, I was picking up think, on Colby? that. Yeah, got a pretty good bear yeah. wolf. You know, one thing that I have uh, that totally this is totally off topic of what we're talking about. Yeah, but. Uh, all the good Arkansas woodsmen that I know are good owl hooters. I knew that was where you were Mo, headed. did you? Yeah. Moe's got a good owl hoot. Good owl hoot. Who taught you that? 
I taught myself that. Did you? Yes, I did. Who, who, you had to have heard somebody do it with their mouth. I mean, did your dad call with his mouth? No, my dad didn't turkey hunt. Yeah. But I did, uh, my brother-in-law that I first ever turkey hunted with, he's passed away now, but we hunted quite a bit when I was young, when I was just a teenager. That's where, who I started turkey hunting with. And, uh, uh. He hooted with his voice, but it sounded totally different from mine did. But I kind of watched him a little bit, seen how he huffed air and stuff. And was he a pretty good turkey hunter? He was a good turkey hunter. Yeah. And uh, and like I said, he's the first one I ever took that ever took me turkey hunting because my dad didn't turkey hunt. He took me turkey hunting when I was about fifteen, which yeah. would have been back in seventy five uh-huh. when there wasn't very many turkeys out in the mountains. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But that's that's what got me interested, and then when I was probably. In my early 20s, 21, 22, I'd tried a little bit, but it sounded like like you're choking a donkey or something. Other. It didn't sound very good. <laughs> choking a donkey. <laughs> but seriously, it, it, and and I got to where I'd be driving to work or whatever because I didn't want to do it out in the woods while I was hunting. Yeah. I would try it while I was yeah. driving yeah. or by myself somewhere, you know, where nobody could hear me. Uh-huh. And one day I'd done something and boom. Just came all of out. a sudden. It came out and sounded, <laughs> that sounded like that might be a good owl hoot. <laughs> yeah. So I went to doing it then and then got it vocalized in and, and I've been doing it ever since. Can you, uh, can you describe how you do it? I, I want, I want to hear you do it. You got a, you got the trill. I, I don't know if it's called that. Do you know what I'm talking about, Colby? I don't. So, so I borrowed out. So what, what turkey hunters and it, and it's become in, I feel like the barred owl is like the the animal of the South or the bird the yes, bird of is. the South. Like everybody owl hoots like dad and I owl hooted to communicate back when we were hunting, you know. Owl hoot if you do this, owl hoot. We used hoot to do, do that, that when uh like uh, they've several times I've done it done it turkey hunting like of an evening uh being like me and my one of my nephews hunt together. I've got a couple of friends I turkey hunt with we'll hooted each other so we know where the other person's at because we yeah. know what each other's hoot sounds like <laughs> yeah 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 well so a barred owl has a it's got a series of calls there, there's one full call that mm-hmm. has like six or eight notes eight notes eight notes and then they'll do a half call where there's just like four notes four notes but when they really get serious they'll do a, a trill i don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right word but like a, i call it a I, I call it a kind of a yeah, laugh. you call it almost a laugh at the end of it or something. And then they yeah. have an actual loud laugh, I call it. That yes. When they when two of them get – have you ever heard of do I've that, learned, Colby? I don't know if I've ever I done that for you, recall. but I've learned to do that. Have you I, ever heard me do that? I, no, but I've <laughs> I've tried it myself. Uh, well, let's hear your owl. Let's hear your owl. Well, you said describe how, how – Well, okay, heard. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're right. There's a – you 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 pitch the you pitch the noise to the roof of your mouth. Yeah, and and it's got to come and it's got to come out of your vocals down like up just in the upper part of your chest. And the way I get it started, I have to get an airlock in my throat. Okay. And I, what I do is I swallow air for about three gulps, and then I break loose and I can get the perfect owl hoot out of it. Huh. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you want me to do one? Yeah, I do. Is this too close? It's probably okay. Uh, Maybe maybe pull it up. Just pull it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'll let you leave me be able to hear the me swallowing there to get ready for it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. And and once I do that, then I can do two or three hoots like that. 
But after yeah. two or three, then I have to do the air again, or like talking now. I have to do See, it. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen anybody do that. And I'll do it again. I'll make this in a deeper. I mean, I can make different tones. You probably, without. you probably could do it better standing up too, couldn't you? Probably so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I'll do this one like a deeper, more bigger owl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But same way. <laughs> that's good it's the global that's premiere that's good the, the global premiere of the <laughs> yeah. of the the Mo Shepherd bar do you want to hear the laugh yeah oh this is this is this is Mo Shepherd in rare form right I'm here I'm excited <laughs> I, I, I've heard that they, it sounds <laughs> yeah. just like that the laugh was good Sometimes that will make a turkey gobble that oh, the regular yeah. hoot won't do. That's right. Huh. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to sometimes you just have to give them a three note. Yeah. Do, 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 some of the real good turkey hunters I've hunted with in Arkansas, the, the first note they'll do will just be the just a three or four note, just ooh, 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 and listen. You know, you yeah. don't you don't want to give them more if no, it's only going to take less. Well and and also a lot of times you only get one gobble out of a turkey. I know we're talking about turkey right now, but you get one gobble out of a turkey a lot of times with the owl Hey, pull your, pull your mic back up. A lot of times you only get – can you hear that now? There you go. A lot of times you only get one gobble out of an owl hoot or something. Other. And what I've learned, my first one usually is, like you said, I'll just go yeah. – Because when you go the eight note, a lot of times that turkey will gobble while you're in your second in series you, and you can't tell where he came from. Right? Yep. So you, you give him the half one. If he, if doesn't, he doesn't answer, then, then you hit better. him harder. Yeah. And then if he doesn't answer, then maybe, maybe you do the laugh or whatever. Laugh or do it louder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, this is highly relevant to bear hunting because, <laughs> listen, if you're going to be a bear hunter, yeah, you got to be a woodsman. Yeah. And if you're going to be a woodsman, you got to – you got it. I mean, the reason Mo's a good hunter is because he's a good turkey hunter. He's a good deer hunter. He's a good bear hunter. He's a good squirrel hunter. I mean, he, you're out in the woods. I'm out in that, the woods. That's the thing. And that's what it takes. I mean, that's the places that I've been successful bear hunting in national forest. I've been successful because I know that country real good because yeah. I deer hunt, turkey hunt, bear hunt there. You know, you, you, you really it do have, difference. You really do have difference. to know the woods. And, and a lot of people, a lot of people I've took hunting with me, whether it's turkey hunting or I probably take more people turkey hunting because I'm a, I'm a pretty much loner when it comes to deer hunting, especially if I'm spotting stalk hunting. I want, yeah. I don't want nobody else around. Yeah. I, I usually do it by myself, but like in turkey season, I may be walking somebody turkey hunting and when we'll get the spot to take a rest and I'll say, Hey, did you notice that those old rubs there? Or did you notice that? Or did you notice there was an old scrape or, or a licking branch? It was broke down. 90% of the people that go turkey hunting when they don't even see that stuff. Yeah. 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 But that's you that's be... when you learn a lot of stuff. It's when you're hunting something else, you learn a lot about the other wildlife that's out there if you're yeah. paying attention to the terrain and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, tell me about uh, tell me about the deer that you killed this year. Um, we uh, Just kind of give me a – you killed a deer in National Forest mm -hmm. in Arkansas – what you what 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 would you call the style of hunting? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think I know what you're going to say. Some some people call call that style of hunting steel hunting. Uh, my dad he hunted that way quite a bit, 
he called it slip hunting. Okay. That's and, what I call it. Uh, anyway, but but a lot of people call it steel hunting, but uh, it's just where you you see an area, or you know an area you're wanting to hunt. You don't want to set in a stand because you don't know exactly where you want to set. But you, you, and where I use it a lot is in areas where I think deer aren't moving much. Like this year, we had a big mass crop early. Deer don't have to move a lot for to to get their food and stuff unless they're in a rut chasing does. So that's why I do it sometimes. And my favorite time to do it is in when there's a good steady wind where I can hunt into the wind. Or what I really like is a steady wind and a light drizzly rain or something like that that, yeah. that kind of muffles my movements and my noise, my sounds I make. But uh, when you're slip hunting or still hunting, my biggest thing to tell you, when you think you're moving slow enough, slow down about 10 times from what you think you're moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and when I, like, I may, I may, I may take two steps. I may take 10 steps. I may, may take 20 steps while I'm moving along, but I'm, I'm careful what I don't, I try not step on twigs and stuff. I feel them with my feet. I don't watch my feet because you got to watch ahead of you all the time above yeah, and below yeah. you in front of you. But, uh, and when I do stop, I try to stop at a place where I think I can see a little better and I may stand there for five seconds i may stand there for 30 seconds i may stand there for 10 minutes once i get there if i feel you just get a feel for it right and uh and uh that's that's how i hunt and another thing i think a lot of people do they get to where they can see good but they go too far mm-hmm. like if you're hunting on a ridge or on a bench and you get to a place where there's a little draw or a little holler makes up and you can see the other side of it don't get that far get when you get to where you can just barely see where you need to see. I see. Mm-hmm. That's when you want to stop and you want to really concentrate and look everything over before you go any farther. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the success you've had, are you killing deer after you've stopped and they come into your view? Majority or, majority or, of them is that way. So so it's when you've stopped. Yes, most of them I've killed. And then, it's when I've stopped. And, and then you're like, there's Looking or standing there. And, and, uh, now like the deer this year, he was a little different. It was raining. Wind was blowing in my face. I was on a little narrow bench on a steep mountainside. I was in an area where I knew does bedded some. It's one of the areas I've hunted for years. Uh, I've killed other deer there in the past. And, uh, and I went a little ways and I'd stop. I don't know. I went four or five different spells of easing along in that drizzly rain and, I just stopped for a little bit, probably a minute, and hadn't noticed anything. And there was a break out in front of me there where I could see off on another little flat. I knew this flat's there from years of experience from being in there. I only made about two steps, though, slow steps, and movement caught my eyes. And I just froze right where I was at to stop. I sat there, or I stood there, and I stood there, and I stood there, and I couldn't ever see nothing. I told myself, I it was just the rain, leaves falling off the trees or something mm-hmm. I started to step again. I thought, no, I don't think that's what I seen. So I stood there a little bit longer. Again, I started to move again. I thought, no, that was something made movement mm. there. And then about that time it moved again, and the first thing I seen was that 10 or 11-inch tine on the top of that deer's head turning. He'd stood up out of his bed. Mm. Uh, that's what I'd first seen. I'll be darned. And he was trying to figure out he'd either seen me or heard me or something. Cause he was looking, he was turning his head, looking towards you. And that's what I seen then was the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and when I saw that time, I didn't know if he had 
two more to go with it or four more or six more. But I knew with that long a time, he was probably a really nice deer. Yeah. And I said, if if I get a shot at him, I'm going to take it with my muzzleloader. Yeah. And finally he turned again and, and kind of moved his front end a little bit and gave me an open shot at about 65 yards. And I shot. And long story short, when the smoke cleared, I didn't see nothing. I said, well, I guess I missed him because <laughs> he was on that flat right on that break where I was fixing to go look over there. So I got my muzzleloader and I reloaded it and everything. Just kept looking. I didn't see anything. thought, well, I'm going to ease out there and see if I can find some blood. I went about probably 10 yards. And I seen something move again. I stopped, and it was one of his tines. He was laying on the ground. He was trying to raise his head up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, He'd fell right there where I'd shot him. Oh, wow. Oh. And he was just a, he was a really nice mountain. I call them mountain bucks uh, out of those Ozark Mountains up here on, on public land. He was he was about 17 inches inside, but his horns were great big around, had a lot of mass to them. Uh, his G, G2s were around 10 inches. I never did actually measure them. Uh, and then he just went out and had big crab claws, and I think his beams are right at twenty-four inches that's length a, of the beam. That's a big beam, and uh, he's a he's a dandy deer. So mm. Yeah, really proud of that deer. Did, so. are you, heck, I should have had you bring the rack. Have you got the rack? No, it's at the taxidermist. Okay, <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure if you were mounting it. Or I hadn't getting had his... one mounted since that big one I killed three years ago. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, man, that's some. You gave some good tips there that I like. You know, hunting when the weather conditions are in your in your favor yeah. for spotting and stalking for slip hunting. Um, you know, wind movement or the wind covers up so much movement. You can get away with a ton of stuff if there's about a seven to twelve mile, 12 mile hour wind. And it's moving branches and leaves and yeah. stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and then and then if you can walk quiet when it's super dry, which a lot of times in the fall it is. A lot of times in the fall it's it's dry, and uh, you know. It's tough to slip around much and quiet. I've, what I've learned about being being quiet in the dry woods is take really small steps. You know what I'm saying? That Short just, stride. I mean, like just nearly foot, toe to heel. Yeah, okay. And and you can do that and feel your way through and keep your eyes on what you're doing. And, you know, yeah. you're going to be looking. You see a log, you're going to step it. We'll get up to it and then ease over that log one foot and then mm-hmm. the other. Yeah. So you're putting your toe down first and then? No. Oh. Heel the I'm saying don't take big steps, so just. Oh, got you. Just about that far is what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. You know, just yeah. about the length of your feet, step at a time. Just like and, you're trying to walk out and measure how far you're yeah. going. And and don't even, I don't even really pick my feet up much. It may even rustle the leaves a little bit, but it's it's no loud noise that's going to spook a deer or anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like a little rustle of the leaves when you're scooting them in the leaves like that slow. So Yeah. Yeah. When you take big steps, you can't control. Once you take a big step, and if you step on a twig, if you're stressed out there, what I've learned, you can't keep from breaking it. Yeah. When I you, see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. When you take a short step, you can feel that stuff under your feet, mm-hmm. and you don't step on it. If you feel it, then move your feet back, shorten it, then step across it with your other foot. You know, when you think about noise, really the sharp, loud noises are when you break sticks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, leaves obviously make a lot of noise, but... How far can you hear, especially if you're firearm hunting, if you're taking the short, soft steps into crunchy leaves, you know, how far can a deer hear that? I don't know. He he can hear a stick a lot further. That's my point. Yes, me too. And and, and I've I have I have walked up on a few deer in their beds that I've spotted in their beds in dry conditions, 
And I think it's because there's no loud noise. It's just a kind of rustle of the leaves that you do mm-hmm. with your with your feet. Yeah. You know who uh, – it'd be fun to have you and James Lawrence on the same podcast. <laughs> yeah. James has made a living slip hunting. He really has. I mean, they, that's his preferred way to hunt is just slipping, slipping, slipping. And uh, he does the same thing. I mean, he uh, – I've never heard him – I've never get, been able to get him really to distill down the <laughs> principles. And it's not because he's hiding anything. I think he just does it. Now he, he he has talked to me about walking in the woods and and uh, he t- he's told me his uncle taught him when he was a little boy how to walk quiet in the woods. But, but well, anyway, my dad it's my a dad neat showed me that showed me that talked about and and he said like when you're going and same thing if you're slipping I'm gonna put this in there real quick. Ben was talking about yeah. it. You're slipping, slip hunting up the side of a hill or up a ridge. You know, I told you a while ago. Uh, I think the biggest mistake people make when they're moving through the woods is stop when you can barely see over that mm-hmm. to that next flat or the next point on the ridge or the next bench. Yeah. Don't walk up where you can see good because I've done that. I've learned from the past when you do that. A lot of times you don't see them and they're already moving, gone, which you have no shot at when. Yeah. If you barely break over and really scan stuff out, if one's laying there and it's bed, and that's one I've seen most of them in their beds, is coming up a ridge or up a hillside over a I little see. bench yeah. and see them. Mm-hmm. I've done that to a big bear once. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't bear hunting. I was deer hunting, and, and I couldn't take the bear because the quota had already been met in the Ozark oh. Mountains a few years ago. Yeah. It's been about 10 years ago. Yeah. And a big bear was just laying there out on the ground. He was probably a 300-pound bear mm-hmm. or bigger. Wow. And he was about... 30 yards from me, and he never knew I was nowhere around. I just eased up, and when I saw him, I just froze and watched him for a little bit. I was rifle hunting, mm-hmm. and it was around Thanksgiving, and he was just laying there. He wasn't asleep. He was just laying there, just stretched out. Just stretched out. Just stretched out, like, you know, all fours, just kind of spraddled out like they lay sometimes. I know uh-huh. you've probably uh-huh. seen pictures of them. They'll do that sometimes at bait sites, lay out mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I just eased back over the hill and went on around the mountain and went on about my hunt. But, oh, they know. Huh. He never that's some good. Around. That's some good slip hunting tips right there. It is. Um, now you uh, you passed a couple of deer too slip hunting this year. Yes, I did. Uh, you, you had a good hunt where you could have killed a buck yeah, later, I, I, but you waited. Yeah, it was during the rifle season. Uh, I think it's like the second week in the season. It was another day where there was a little bit of rain. The woods were damp, and uh, there was a steady wind blowing that day, and. Uh, uh, I was I was hunting in an area where it's pretty steep in there, and uh, so I was I was hunting. It's real steep, and there's not many points in there. It's just kind of hillside with little draws and or little hollows. Some people call them little hollow, but when you get on the end of a little hump there, you can see back in a hollow. And I would just ease my way around to where I could barely see in there. And about the probably the third or fourth little draw I came to, I just eased and. And I thought, man, this is this is a good spot here. There ought to be something in here. And about the time I looked, and this deer was coming, I'd stopped, and this deer was coming down the hill, had his nose around. He was scenting for does. Mm. And uh, he was probably 70 yards from me. And, and uh, when I first saw him, I thought, it's a pretty nice deer. So I got my gun up in my hands. I had it on my shoulder at the time and got it off and got it up in my hands and watched him come down there. And he got a little close to me, not much. But then, uh, like I said, he was a nice deer. He had either eight or nine points, had pretty nice tines, but he was a young deer. I could just tell his body wasn't built big or anything, and I'd already taken that bigger deer earlier and and uh, thought maybe this deer will live. He may not live 
two hours later than that. I don't know, but yeah. but uh, I let him go that day, and then and then I had another deer that he wasn't that big, but uh, I think he was just uh, he may just had six points, but same way I, I I got up on him and he was feeding, he was feeding on uh, black gum berries, and mm. uh, and I I saw him while I was moving. But he was huh. looking the other way. He was facing away from me, but I had the wind in my favor. Wind yeah. was from the deer to me, and I saw him. And when he raised his head, then I saw horns, and I got excited. And I, no, he's not very big, but yeah. it's fun seeing those deer hunting like that. So. Yeah, it is. Well, hey, you get you gave some good good slip hunting tips there, and that that kind of stuff can be applied really anywhere. I mean, you could take those tips to out west and. And, I've used them bow hunting for elk out in the Rocky Mountains, the same scenarios, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Especially when they're not bugling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I forgot to mention this. Um, in so in 2011, I wrote an article about you in a, a magazine that we used to publish here in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I. I told Colby there's only a few times in my adult life that I have invested full energy, artistic energy, into drawing <laughs> something. I, 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 as a kid, I drew a lot. I mean, I was an artist, you know. You and thought you, you were. I thought I was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it, it, when when uh, you told me that story, I was like, man, we gotta have a way to depict that. And so I drew this picture, and I'm pointing at this picture in a 2011 issue of this old magazine. Yeah. And it's and it's a picture of Mo backpedaling, and see the pawpaw. I mean, those those yeah. look like pawpaw trees, Mo. Yes, I mean, this do. is like this is like shagbark hickory. You done pretty good. <laughs> look, can you okay? Can you tell what kind of tree that is right there? Uh, yeah, that's a hickory. Okay, and what that's, kind? Of, that's a white oak. What about this one? That's a uh, that's a big red oak. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm thinking white oak. But the pawpaw, yeah. So yeah, people will put this. Uh, yeah. This image of Mo getting attacked by a bear. The little <laughs> cubs are up in the pawpaw tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying like crazy to find the original drawing of that, and I I haven't been able to locate it yet because it's it's been years. But um, I like that drawing. I like <laughs> I like that story, man. That's a cool story. But well, hey, thanks for hey. This is the first podcast of 2020. When this comes out, it'll be it'll 2020. Be 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so. You were uh, you were on the podcast a little earlier than this last year, but it was December, sometime in December yeah. last year that we did it. But no, nah, man, I I always like to have people on here that are authentic, Mo. That's that's a qualification for me when, when I have people on, and and you fit that bill to the T. And um, and uh, anyway, I always learn something when I talk to you, and. Uh, so, Colby, do you have any closing thoughts or questions for Mo? Man, I feel like I want to go out there and just see what I can get on. <laughs> I think I go too fast whenever I'm moving around. I think that's the biggest thing. Well, that and the fact that uh, I tend to get out in the opening instead of, you know, I don't know, just need to slow down and just use my eyes. I feel like I use my ears too much. Yeah, you know? you'll see 10 times more stuff than you hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially if and, they're not and so many people, or noise. so many people that I mean, I do this even when I'm stand hunting, but it really applies to you when you're spot and stalk hunting or still hunting or slip hunting, however you want to call it, uh, is look for something out of place. Mm-hmm. 
Don't look for a deer. Don't look for a bear. Uh, look for something that just don't look right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know how many deer I've killed out in the mountains that way. Just something didn't look right, and I just kept looking at it and kept looking at it. And then look off and look back, and then if it changed, and, yeah, there is something there because it don't look just like it did. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. 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 So I think there's a lot of things I just need to train in my mind, you know. And like I said, when, when you're when – you're, and there's places when you're slip hunting or whatever that you may not need to move slow. You may be in a spot where you've already looked this whole thing over mm-hmm. and – and uh, if you want to cover a little more ground, you might go 30, 40 yards on a place you've already examined, and it's not going to affect you because it may be in a low place yeah, yeah, where yeah. nothing's going to see or hear you. But then when you come up over something and get to a crest where something can see now mm. that hasn't been in your view, that's yeah. when you need to really slow down again. So. Yeah. I guess my question would be how do you handle, like, an open area? You know, like, because whenever you're talking, it's almost like in my mind, it's like when you're coming up on, like, some opening or something where you can see mm-hmm. do That's, you cross that opening not really like my one of my favorite things to do is like if i'm like say i'm on a side of a mountain where there's a big bench yeah where maybe uh, clay probably knows what i'm talking about there's there's benches on the side of the mountain just like where you hunt in the wash ties where i call them uh it's where bucks like to chase and look for does and stuff mm-hmm. where the mm-hmm. does are feeding or where they're bedded on these big benches I don't go right. I don't go across that bench. Mm-hmm. I go below it, down on the hillside, and I may even get out of sight of that bench for twenty or thirty yards, and mm-hmm. then ease back up like I was telling you a minute ago. Ease up where you can see on it. Mm-hmm. I, I might stay saying. in that position and go, you know, ten foot or whatever, and look again so, to get a different perspective of what you're looking at. Then I may drop back over that a little bit, move around a little farther, and ease back up again. Yeah, because when you're on a place where you can see good. Mm-hmm. The deer can see way better than you can. Yeah. So if you're moving yeah. through those open areas, like you said, that's a good yeah. question. Yeah. You're yeah. moving through those open areas. Uh, you're so more you're, likely you're saying split, skirt the open areas. Skirt the open areas, whether yeah. it's, and like I said, and one, another one of my favorite things to do is if I'm in, a, like, some of the mountainous areas out there, well, they'll have benches, but then above them there'll be a, just a little shelf that may, may not be 10 foot wide, but it's a place easier to walk. That's one of my favorite places to slip hunt especially if I'm rifle hunting, is be 100 yards from a big bench or something other and be up on that hillside looking down at it, mm-hmm. especially during the day because the thermals are bringing that air up the hill, so it's bringing it off of that big bench up into where you're at in that steep ground. Mm-hmm. The air aren't going to smell you or bears, whatever you're after. Yeah. But you're up there kind of in the stuff, and, and you've got background behind you because you're on a steep hillside. They're out here looking into that hillside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. So. Yeah. 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 That's good. Good. Is that your only question? <laughs> I'm sure more will come up. Yeah, okay. I, I'm thinking more about like how I just need to adjust like my mentality. I mean, because yeah. it's, it's almost like there's a, a process to it, and there's probably more that if I'm like looking into inside of of those tactics and things, it's probably there's probably other things that while I'm doing those things that I learn just from yeah. like being intentional. Well, I, I learn there. something every time I go out into the woods. Yeah you do if you're if you're really intent on paying attention paying attention you learn something every time you're out there yeah whether it's about yeah. the game you're hunting or another type of game that you may be hunting another part of the year but you can learn stuff just by paying attention yeah all right well thanks mo appreciate it i enjoyed it happy new year man y'all too yeah, yep. happy new year keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.